Have you had a no-show this past week or maybe sometime this month? You see those empty holes in your schedule right now created by those patients that maybe never confirmed or maybe they did confirm but just didn't show up for who knows whatever reason? How frustrating is that? It throws a huge roadblock in your production. Your momentum you had for the day slows down and you and your team lose motivation. And it also now means your team has to scramble to fill that spot. Why is this happening? Why are patients no-showing you? There's actually a couple of reasons for this. Three Fs. Think of finance, fear, or they forget. Now, 38% of all no-shows say they just simply forgot. And why do customers forget? Well, 90% don't answer calls, 19% don't check voicemails, and 88% of emails are never even open. But think about this right here, for example. What's the one thing that can vibrate right now or can ping right now, make a noise, and you'll check it immediately, right? It's a text message. It's your phone. It has to go right there on your phone like a text message. Text messaging is probably one of the best ways to reach a patient immediately. But there's a method to this madness. There's a system, an automation, and someone has built this system finally. Emeter. Emeter is an all-in-one platform that can skyrocket your Google reviews, automate day-to-day tasks, provide text messaging services, send out appointment reminders, do online scheduling, have online intake forms, and provide an excellent patient engagement ability for your team. But the goldmine of this patient engagement software is that Emeter is drastically reducing no-shows by 90%. Click the link in the show notes below to schedule a free personalized demo so they can show you how they can reduce no-shows for you in your practice. Emeter helps you connect with your patients through their preferred mode of contact. They have digital check-in and updates. They have customized and automate by visit types, and they help reduce waiting time. But like I said, I want you to see this for yourself. I want you to schedule a free personalized demo with Emeter. Check them out and how they can help reduce your no-show percentage immediately. And guys, if you like what you see from the free demo, then Emeter is offering you an exclusive deal. There's no agreements or contracts. It's a month-to-month subscription and you'll get 30% off. So go in the show notes below, click the Emeter logo or the link below to schedule your free personalized demo right now. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Dental Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Arias. And in this episode, I am speaking with Dr. Maria Cordero Ricardo. Consult rooms are apparently going out of style in pediatric offices. It would be more advantageous to use that room to produce revenue. And so I had to reinforce with my team when they were designing my office, uh, no, I want a consult room. And it, it got written out of the plans once. And I was like, oh, you need to put that back in. Um, And so on the tour, I'm showing this consult room, but in my head, like this room is really important. This room is where I can always, before a restorative appointment, speak like an adult with the parents while the child's back there watching TV. So I don't have to say sleepy juice and wiggle the tooth, but rather tell them exactly what we're going to do. And so when they inevitably say, are you going to use a needle? They're not asking me that question in front of their child. Because I don't lie to kids. And as soon as you tell them that we're going to use a needle, I am not going to say, we don't use those here. You have now backed me into a corner and we need other solutions. But if I do it in the consult room, 
we prevented the problem, which is awesome. And she's such an optimistic and decisive individual. And you'll hear that in this episode. She taught in her industry for about 10 years. And she absolutely loved teaching. But then she decided to do something a bit different and open up her own pediatric office. And you'll hear why she decided to do this. And then we talk about something interesting. She mentions how she expects to be wrong. And that's a good thing because that means there's room for learning and evolving. And then she breaks down for us her new patient experience and more specifically, her infant oral health experience. And it's really detailed, very compassionate and really good. So follow along her process as she explains it. And then we discuss how should you engage with the family from the beginning in order to continue to have that rapport, build it stronger and so forth. And she lets us know how she asks open-ended questions and the good results to that. We also discuss what to do with parents who say they don't want fluoride treatment done on their kids. How does she handle that? And then we discuss her practice numbers, her business, how much was construction, some of the best companies she worked with, what she's doing for marketing and advertising, and what has been some of her biggest struggles and risks so far as well. So guys, without further delay... Here is Dr. Maria Cordero Ricardo. Maria, how's it going? It's great. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for asking. If you don't mind me asking, where are you located right now? I am in Center City, Philadelphia, in Pennsylvania. Um, sweet city-based practice. It's a quiet day, though, because it's Halloween and a pediatric dental office. I know. It sounds, it looks quiet. But... Yeah. Give us a little bit about your background. Tell us a little bit about your past, your present. How did you get to where you are today? Oh, man, I am a sum of my journey. So I sometimes tell people when introducing myself, I am a recovering academic. And so what I mean by that is I went through the whole process. I was in academia for 10 years, running through 10 years. I got up to associate professor First at Stony Brook and then at Temple University here in Philadelphia. I've been a pre-doc director training dental students, a postgraduate director training residents, and a clinic director having an 18-chair dental student clinic at my fingertips. And I've done it all. And after 10 years, I said, you know, I've had enough of these conversations where I try and convince the awesome part-timers like, oh, we could do this differently. We could do it this way. And they sagely tell me, well, it's not like that in private practice. Hmm. So now I am putting my money where my mouth is and I built it. Gotcha. Okay. So then you rewind a little bit further back before jumping into this. Is this something you've always wanted to do? Open up your own practice, open up your own business? Or were you always like, I just want to be teaching? Um, that's kind of funny because I may have sat at a dinner at one point in time and said I would never teach. And then I spent 10 years and I loved it. I really like that was an amazing use of 10 years of my life. Um, and I look at it and it formed a lot of my current practice philosophies and techniques. Um, but it wasn't always what I wanted to do. I was looking for 
a way to be impactful and give back a lot of what I was given. And that goes, that goes back to root. My dad came to the state on a scholarship and was sent to college and went to dental school. And I was raised in a world where he constantly said, do whatever you want, but do more than I did because I gave you more than I had. And I kept looking for that. And so when I first graduated my pediatric dental residency, that was at Ohio State with some amazing thought leaders and brilliant people and way too many resources, like I had everything. I said, well, what can I do to give back more? And and teaching looked like the best way to do that. So that's how I ended up there. And then I expect to be wrong about most of the things that I'm thinking in a moment because I expect them to change. And that's not a bad thing. That's learning. That's evolving. That's gathering and growing. And over the course of the 10 years, I started developing really strong ideas for what I thought an amazing pediatric practice could look like. And I wanted to test them. I wanted to do them. I wanted to live them. And you can teach them to students and you can teach them to residents, but there are limitations in that space. And one of those limitations is that you need to have the right answer. You can't teach somebody something that is gray. You have to say, this is right, this is wrong. And I realized that my joy fell in the gray space. And so after that 10-year phase of academics, my practice is now my opportunity to see it through and build on all of those black and white, right and wrong, and do more. Hmm. Man, I like that a lot. You can't teach someone something that is gray. Where did you find, like, you had to refine these gray points where you're like, this has been a gray moment. This has been another gray idea. Where were they? What did you have to refine? There are a lot of them. I think patient communication is one of them. I came into my program with great knowledge, right? Like I know what causes a cavity Mm -hmm. and I know exactly what to tell a parent causes a cavity. And that changes nothing because if dieting were easy, I would be 120 pounds. And that's what oral health and nutrition is. It's diet because for the most part, people brush their teeth, notable exceptions, but like that's the easy thing to change. The hard thing is the cultural nuance around food. And so the gray area is how you engage with a family as thoroughly as possible. And one of the areas that I think I do best is infant oral health. I deliver an amazing infant oral health experience. And it comes into saying and understanding, well, what is health and wellness for the parents? And how do I digest that down for their child who is six months to one year old and hasn't even started eating yet? And what are the things that they would want to know before they even needed them so that they could start healthy habits that they already believed in? And that's a gray area because I might be listening to a family that wants to nurse and wants to co-sleep. And if I go, oh, well, that's gonna cause cavities. They're going to walk out the door and not listen to anything else they say. Instead of me listening and saying, how do I make this thing that you believe is very important for wellness work for you? How do I find a way to make it serve you? 
that's the gray area. And it's hard to teach a dental student that. Yeah. I mean, frankly, it's hard to teach a dentist that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, I don't think you can like, just like, you know what I mean? It's like, it has to deal with personality, has to deal with who you are, what you care about, really the knowledge, right? Relationship building. Yeah. It's conviction, right? You got to express that conviction too. And that if you believe it, it's going to be easier for you to teach it in a, in a simpler manner. If you keep learning it, how should you engage with the family from the beginning? One of my favorite reviews in my practice, it was really unexpected. It was somebody that was, um, it felt unengaged in this appointment. Their child was a year old. They came in for a year one dental visit because their pediatrician told them to. He was like, I don't really understand why I'm here. He has two teeth. And he was very deadpan with me. But when he wrote the review later, he said all of these things. And the most important was, and she doesn't ask a checklist of questions. She asks open-ended questions and really listens. And I think that's what I do to really engage. I am listening a lot. And some parents notice it actively, like this father did. And I was like, I read that review and I was like, oh my goodness, you see me. Yes. But other families realize that the advice I'm giving them is not the same four talking points that everybody gets. It's very specific to what they told me. And it's always dovetailed with a statement of, does that answer your question well? Or how do you think that might work in your home? So it's more the, I guess, listening, right? Listening, hearing, validating kind of thing where it's like, oh, okay, this is what's going on in your situation. How long should we have, like, as far as a time limit, especially if you're like, okay, I'm looking to get more new patients, looking to get more people and it's building up, building up, but you want to spend that time with the family. So the way I have it structured in my practice, and I will say my practice is not the traditional pediatric dentistry structure. My, my heart is being very relationship based. I am not trying to be the biggest act in town. We have great pediatric dentistry in Philadelphia and they are higher volume, large systems. They're doing great things. I am doing something different. Mm -hmm. So my new patient visit for an infant is a 30 minute appointment. Most people describe an infant visit and it's quick in, out, five minutes, done, right? And mine's intentionally longer. And then most of it is that talking. And when you have set up that foundation and you start building up, my vision of this is that I will graduate that child to a hygienist when they can sit in the chair and be polished. And I have done all of that training trajectory. And because I'm not a high volume practice intentionally, I have room in my schedule for this because I will intake my new patient. And then as they graduate to hygiene, I can keep that larger patient flow to a well-validated individual. So it does work. It just has to be systematic. Gotcha. Mm, systematic. Okay. Okay. And then if you can, Maria, break down to me your infant oral health uh, experience. How does that look as soon as like somebody walks in through the door? What can we expect from your team, you, things like that? Absolutely. So I think patient experience is really important. Um, and the first impression is before they get in the door. So when we do our intake, all of our intake is digital. So they are filling out those forms before they come in the office. So that when they actually walk in the office, I already know 
a little bit about who they are. I know how they came to me. And I have all of those basic black and white questions that would have been asked in person. They're already answered. So I know where we're going with this conversation. So instead, they're coming into our reading room, meeting my front office coordinator, who's greeting them by name, greeting the child by name, welcoming them in and saying, we're just getting the room ready for you. Has a brief seat and they're sitting in a waiting room that is low key. It is not high tech, cartoony, loud, and it doesn't have video games because you're only going to be there for two or three minutes. They're being presented their treatment plan before they come back so they know exactly what we're going to be discussing for charges. And this is an opportunity for a conversation point. The first one that I think differentiates me a little bit. In that treatment plan, we do say we're planning on doing an examination, a cleaning, and a fluoride treatment. And a good number of families say, I'm not sure I'm ready for that fluoride treatment. And my front office coordinator knows to now scripted say, not a problem. Dr. Maria is going to do this by indication and she'll discuss it with you and we'll find a solution for you. This is not the traditional way families are met. And it was funny. I had somebody say to me, I love that I found you. You're a, such a great holistic dentist. And I was like, mm-hmm. I didn't realize I was a holistic dentist. I don't call myself that. See, I use fluoride, but I also use listening skills. And most of the time that people say, I'm not sure, or I don't want fluoride. If you meet them with strong paternalistic opposition, they usually don't feel heard. But if you meet them with, oh, let's explore that more and find a solution that works for you. And if that solution might be fluoride, they might accept it. And if there's another solution, well, what did that cost me to find it for them? As long as that child tells you, we are on the same team. Yeah. Do you ever think, Maria, a lot of, um, I guess like pediatric or just dentists or other practice owners who are like kind of like in this, um, not in their world, but they're like, you know what I mean? You just started your practice, you're trying to build up and then somebody kind of comes in And, you know, we're in a day and age where it's like information overload, right? We kind of, your patients come in, they Googled a ton of stuff and then they're like, hey, no fluoride, please. And you kind of sometimes want to be like, trust me, you're going to need it. You don't know what they're reading. You know, you drink it all the time in your water, blah, 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 all these things. It's kind of so easy to go that route sometimes, right? So what do you do for yourself to be like, to sharpen your listening skills whenever you're having like a, a rush day or, you know what I mean, an off day, things like that? Let me think about that because part of it is trying to approach each of those situations without being rushed. But when have I gone wrong? I sometimes give too much information. I think anytime something has gone wrong, it's because I didn't ask questions, but instead made a statement. And that is usually the underlying theme of a communication that's gone wrong. So ask more questions, listen more, talk less is almost always the right advice. And that applies everywhere in an office. That's not just clinical. Uh, Anytime we have a review of a patient phone call that maybe didn't go so well. Have you, anybody who's worked front desk, You've worked front desk, right? Mm -hmm. You know that's the hardest job in the office, right? People aren't nice to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they'll come back to the doctor and they're nice. And I know that because I've actually worked front desk. 
I've worked every job in a dental office because my dad's a dentist. Growing up, whatever job needed to be filled until that person was hired, this girl got trained in it, except for the hygienist job because that needed a license. Mm -hmm. So I'll sit and I'll listen to a tough encounter and we do record all phone calls in the office. It's just part of our phone system. And when we listen to it together, I go, okay, now that you're calm, what do you think you could have done differently? And it usually comes down to talk less, listen more. And that would have put out the fire. And the second thing that would have put out most phone call fires is when someone is really angry with you saying, how can I help you? Whatever they're yelling about, you're saying, how can I help you? And they, that helps. And if those two things don't work, frankly, they'll probably hang up on you. And that solved the problem for a little bit too. <laughs> like you yeah. can't fix everything. All you can do is work on yourself. No, but yeah, that's, you're a hundred percent right. That's good advice. Like at marriage, anything, you know what I mean? Like just yeah. <laughs> like, talk I less. I use that technique with my husband, by the way, when he's stressed. <laughs> How can I help you right now? Yeah. No, that, and you know what? That calms people. Do you're like, you're just trying to help. That's it. Mm-hmm. And I'm over here like being irate and angry and, you know, and sometimes people look for a blowback where they're like, oh, now I can get angry at that. Per-, you know what I mean? But when they don't, it calms people down. Yeah, I want to be Teflon in that area because I don't like being yelled at, frankly. So oh, yeah. I'd like to put that fire out, too. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really, really good. Awesome. So that's how the whole infant oral health experience kind of goes. Well, that was the front desk. I didn't get in the door. Okay. You're right. OK, so the front desk greets you. Assistant meets the family at the door, again, greeting by name, parent and child, and says, can I take you on a tour of the office? And we give them a full office tour. The office tour stops in the bathroom. This serves two purposes. One, a slightly older kid who may be potty training uses, I need to go to the bathroom as a contingent escape. And so if you show them the bathroom before the appointment, sometimes they go, oh, I need to use that bathroom. And it reduces the break during the appointment. And my bathroom's adorable. My bathroom has a toddler-sized fixture and sink and an adult-sized and a changing table and is tiled on the wall to say smile. My bathroom is everything about my own personality, and it's one of the first impressions. Then they walk from towards the back, and we pass the consult room. Consult rooms are apparently going out of style in pediatric offices. It would be more advantageous to use that room to produce revenue. And so I had to reinforce with my team when they were designing my office, uh, no, I want a consult room. And it, it got written out of the plans once. And I was like, oh, you need to put that back in. Um, and so on the tour, I'm showing this consult room. But in my head, like this room is really important. This room is where I can always, before a restorative appointment, speak like an adult with the parents while the child's back there watching TV. So I don't have to say sleepy juice and wiggle the tooth, but rather tell them exactly what we're going to do. And so when they inevitably say, are you going to use a needle? They're not asking me that question in front of their child. Because I don't lie to kids. And as soon as you tell them that we're going to use a needle, I am not going to say, we don't use those here. You have now backed me into a corner and we need other solutions. But if I do it in the consult room, we prevented the problem, which is awesome. It's a wonderful location to just have conversations. So I describe my treatment plans there. I describe any of my more complex therapies there. And I pre-op every appointment in that room. So my consult room gets traffic. 
So parents always see it on the walk back. Um, and then I take them back to the quiet rooms. I show them they are exactly the same. A quiet room is simply a room with the door on it in a hmm. pediatric practice. And right now in Philadelphia, that is mostly what I'm working out of because we are a city that had a lot of COVID and we are a city of very young, educated parents that were afraid to go to the dentist. And a closed door gave people confidence to come back to the dentist when they were afraid to take their kids out of their homes and even put them in daycare. So the quiet rooms get a lot of attention. And then before we come back to the quiet room to sit down for appointments, we show them our digital suite where our digital x-rays are. And we talk about our x-ray policy and how it's as little as reasonably possible and always by indication and after an exam. And our goal is to have half the x-rays in our practice and still the same high standard of care that you would get anywhere else in the city. We talk about that, Mm -hmm. differentiating ourselves a little bit. And the final stop on that tour is this huge bay window I have in the back where the hygiene chairs are. And I call it the truck window to small children. And I say, and so what we're going to do is we're going to do our exam over in the room. And then depending on how your child handled it, if we need to change the energy, we're going to come back over here and we're going to debrief and we're going to count trucks or we're going to look across the street at the veterinarian's office because anybody with small children knows that when your child is melting down, sometimes you just have to change the room. Hmm. You have to go outside for a walk or you just have to get out of the room where they're having the meltdown and you can change the energy. And I use that window for that purpose a lot. Then we sit down in our room and we have a floor toy, just Melissa and Doug, wooden toys that the kiddo can sit on the floor. And I go through and I ask me questions and I'm going to ask things from the outside in. I'm going to say, Tell me a little bit about what it looks like a day of feeding Johnny. And they're going to tell me, and if they're a really young child, it's going to involve milk and bottles and introduction to solid. And those are my favorite kids to get because I have a lot to offer when I'm listening and I'm going to hear, okay, where are they in introduction to solids? Are they maybe interested in baby led weaning? which is a way to introduce foods and solids that also supports muscle growth and oral function. And I'm really into that. Or are they coming up on that first birthday where we're supposed to recommend cessation of a bottle, but also perhaps a transition from formula to cow's milk. And I talk about what that transition is going to look like and how to do it very successfully instead of just like running into the wall at the first birthday and being like, wait, I'm changing what's in the bottle and I'm not giving them the bottle and they're not getting enough cow. What do I do? So Mm -hmm. I like to anticipate that really well. I talk about establishing a healthy bedtime routine and that has some components, regularity, duration of sleep, healthy sleep, breathing through your nose while you're sleeping, and not having feeding associations with that sleep. And for a bottle-fed baby or a nursing baby, that might look differently. Do you notice I haven't talked about toothbrushing yet, right? Like I didn't do the dental stuff yet. And yet all of it fits in. Yeah. Um, and you then, tell them that? Do you tell them that? You're like, you notice I haven't talked about like, Yeah, you're like, don't worry, I will get there. I promise. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I, would, I would have mentioned that if I were you all the time. Notice I haven't. I'm like, oh. Yeah, Because this was all actually more important. Yeah. 
diet is far more important. And if you set that down as a foundation, I can say, listen, from what you've told me, your child is a low cavity risk kid. You're doing great things. So now let's talk about teeth brushing. When does it happen? How does it happen? Hear this? Open-ended questions. I am not saying, do you brush your kid's teeth at night? Do you brush them in the morning? Do you use fluoride toothpaste? I'm saying, tell me, tell me more. Yeah. And they'll describe it. And they'll be like, I don't think we're doing a great job and, you know, all those sorts of things. And, and then I go, okay, well, let's, well, let's see how you're actually doing. Let's, let's check it out. And then we do a lap exam. And I usually describe to them, this is what I think I'm going to find based on everything you told me. I think I'm going to find some clean teeth. But from what you described, I might find a little bit on the front teeth. And then I magically am correct most of the time. And that really buys some confidence from families um, because when you can listen to them and accurately predict what you're going to see, they realize, oh, wait, everything that you're now going to tell me matters because you can accurately predict how it's going to change them. So I like that. We do a lap exam and I do that in a way that puts the child's head close to me, but they're on the parent's lap. Most parents instinctively sit on the chair and want to put the child on top of them. And I say, I'm doing this so you get a front row seat. You can get the best view of your children's teeth that you've ever seen. I'm doing that on purpose because it might be the only time they've ever seen their kids' teeth. Because every other time they are wrestling an alligator. (laughs) I'm showing them, one, I can brush their kids' teeth. And two, they can do it. And at the end of that, I am usually placing a fluoride varnish treatment at the end, sitting the child up and debriefing. Little tricks that I have. I do have a lap board, which is cushioned, which means it's very safe and stable to examine a young child. I have TVs on my ceiling. I don't want you to think that I am like this magical tooth fairy that can make all kids lay down. Like there are some adjuncts happening here and there is melon running on loop on the ceiling. And it really does help. And there's also just the like patience of creating some classical conditioning. And I tell parents, you're going to think this is funny, but I'm going to brush their teeth singing the ABCs because a one-year-old doesn't know how to say their ABCs yet, but recognizes it and knows that it's going to end. And so a lot of times, if you do something over and over, that has a clear understanding to your child that has an end. They will give you that much time calmly before they start exerting their need to control it again. And I've actually done that with my own kids and I've taken splinters out with the ABCs because they are so practiced at like, just stay still till Z, she'll be done, <laughs> um, that I can get a lot out of them as a result. Yeah, that's interesting. Wow. And then from that point on, I guess, how would you close treatment or like, how would you ask for payment or anything like that? Um, well, we usually cover that before they even come in and up front. So that's that finding of the treatment plan. The gray area there is that we have an in-house membership plan that is very different from what a lot of offices do because one of my goals is being the best door for the oral health experience in the city. So we have an infant membership plan. So if you come in at six months, my membership plan will cover you until the end of the month of your second birthday. So you could get four dental visits in by then if you come in really early for the same price as what some families would pay for one dental visit. So instead of giving a free dental visit away to get you in the door, I have incentivized you to buy my in-house membership plan for a younger child. The younger, the better your benefits. So we'll present it up front, but we won't charge it until you've had the experience. 
And then they're like, oh yeah, we're coming back for this. Mm -hmm. We'll walk them to the front. And I will usually say in closing, in general, six months is a good time for your next dental visit, unless you need me sooner. And Mm -hmm. the reason you may need me sooner is we're city parents putting our kids on playground equipment for five-year-olds. So you might get a really impressive fall somewhere along the lines as they're learning to walk and play. And so what I want you to know is here's some dental first aid. I want you to keep a Pedialyte ice pop in your freezer. And I want you to use that as the ice pack that a one or a two-year-old will suck on to stop the bleeding, stop the swelling. When the dust has settled and they have stopped crying, take a picture of whatever the injury is and call me first before you go to an emergency room or urgent care. Because usually they're just going to tell you to call me and I could save you a couple hours of waiting. Hmm. Unless they get a head injury, in which case please go straight to the emergency room. And then I walk them to the front and they sort of laugh about this, but it's planted the thought in their head that I am now there as their dental home for an emergency. And I say to my front office, and it might be my dental assistant, it might be me walking them to the front, depending on where the energy is. Hmm. Um, I go, super healthy, exam cleaning fluoride. We'll see them in six months. And then I hand them off. Nice. Okay. You know what? Marie, how long have you been open for? I opened my practice a year and a couple months ago. So we're young. You sound very decisive, like very decisive and for sure of your brand, of you, of who, you, what you're doing. Yeah. Compared to a lot of other people. I mean, um, you know what I mean? Like we've been doing this for a while, but I mean, like talking to you, and have you worked at another pediatric practice? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I had a great associate experience out on Long Island in a practice that was run like a well-oiled machine. A lot of the things in the background that I learned, they work better when they work systematically. And I loved working with that staff. It was, I saw an absurd number of patients a day. I saw anywhere between 45 and 60 patients a day in a six-hour shift. And I didn't really go home burnt out because that staff ran it well. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you learned a lot from there, kind of picking and choosing. I say that because like with your systems, you're like, yes, you're, you're for sure, for sure. You're like, my bathroom is the best. Like the, the way it's built, all these things, like nobody can tell you nothing. And that's what you kind of need, right? You don't want to open up something and be like, it's okay. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. We're going to keep working at it. And I hope it's good enough, right? You kind of want to be for sure, for sure like this. So it's, I guess like the question I want to ask you is like, why? Why are you so for sure decisive without like a little bit of doubt where it's saying you're like, it's not even like you're thinking there's a better way that you're saying like, this is my way. This is how it's going to work because we're different. Where does that come from? Some of that is my intrinsic personality. I think I am a confident person, but I do think that there are aspects of my practice that I feel about confidently because I've spent so long studying it. I mean, infernal health and young child nutrition was the source of my research in academia. Um, Motivational interviewing and communication strategy I'm published in this area. I am comfortable saying I am an expert in these areas and I deeply care about them enough so that I've taught them to anybody who was in my classroom. But there, you could fill a room with what I don't know yet. And I love those spaces. I like being a little uncomfortable. And 
I usually say to people that if we're doing the exact same thing in five years, I'm doing it wrong. Mm. Like I expect to evolve. So I talk to you confidently about the touchstones that are part of my core values that I don't think are likely to change, but around it is a constant moving volume and it's loud in my head about what I'm trying to build. Mm-hmm. But it's refreshing. You know what I mean? It's like a positive thing that you're noticing. Like, there's a lot I don't know. And I love it. You know, instead of like, there's a lot I don't know. Oh, no. You know what I mean? And then you're kind of in your own head a lot of the times. But um, that's good. That's really, I'm happy for you, Maria. Can we kind of like get a little bit into the business side right now? Yeah. Of like good. your build out and everything. How much was your build out? God awful expensive. No, actually. <laughs> um, the build out itself was 390. In total? That's construction. Okay. Rewind a little bit. Who'd you go with for a loan? Huntington Bank. Okay. Um, they're out of Columbus, Ohio, which I went to Ohio State. So getting to work with people out there again was kind of nice and refreshing. Those Midwesterners are pleasant, get my sense of humor at the same time. And uh, they've taken really good care of me. They're responsive. I can get someone on the phone all the time. It was a good experience. Okay. And the amount for that total loan was? Oh, that was more. It was like 600 because there's things like working capital, there are consultants, there is equipment. I mean, and I also went against a little bit of good advice. So like you can pick up, good example, if you ever want to get him on the phone. I have um, a baby brother. Mm-hmm. He's like over 30. He's a contributing member of society, but he's an endodontist. Mm-hmm. And he just bought a practice out in Eureka, California. It's like the northernmost part of California that could still be considered a city. And he's going out there because that's opportunity. And that motivated him. For me, I was motivated to be here in Philadelphia because of family. That motivated me. I have kids. I want to be near my parents. I want to be near my in-laws. And so I opened an office in a saturated area that's expensive to build. I mean, do you seeing all those are bad. Those are bad business decisions. <laughs> those it's okay. But okay, so then you found your location. How I found my location because I live here. Okay. I live in my neighborhood. I walk to work, and I worked with a realtor, and I would walk the neighborhoods of where I wanted to be. So I mean, I did a demographic search, and it was acceptable. This is not kicking it out of the park growth like certain communities in the country, but it's like acceptable. And I said, okay, well, there are two neighborhoods I can pick from that are growing that do not currently have a pediatric dentist and have plenty of kids. But I live in this one and the one over there has miserable parking. And so since it's going to make very little difference, we're still going to be able to draw families from both. I'm going to pick the one that I live in and that has a little bit better of parking. I kept walking and looking and looking. And every time I saw a spot that I thought might be interesting, I sent it to the realtor and he checked in on it. Um, And then I got lucky because it is better to be lucky than good. Mm -hmm. And my pediatrician moved up to the third floor of this office building and vacated the downstairs spot. So I almost took her spot where a pediatrician used to be. Mm -hmm. And then I got even luckier because COVID was miserable and disrupted everything. The office suite next to my pediatrician's new office suite was a therapy office. 
and therapists in the city of Philadelphia all went virtual. So they, um, they folded on their lease and it suddenly became available. So I have an office that shares a wall with a pediatrician, my pediatrician, which is a sweet situation. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's nice. So then that's where you're at right now. Yes. Okay. That's good. And then how many ops are like, how does your practice look? You said it was closed doors. So I have two closed rooms built out Mm -hmm. and I have a hygiene bay, which has room for three, has dividers between for a little bit of privacy, but three chairs. So semi-private hygiene bays. And then I have two more closed rooms that can be outfitted. It just doesn't make sense to outfit them yet because my growth is, it's different. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I mean by that is I am building a very relationship-based pediatric office. I am not building an insurance-driven machine. So I'm in network with a couple. I have no desire to be in network with more. And our customer service makes it so that a majority of our patients are using their commercial insurance but are out of network for us. So instead of seeing 200 new patients a month, I am seeing eh, 50, 60 full fee-for-service patients a month. Um, And so I don't need to outgrow the rooms that I have because then I'd also have to deal with how challenging it is to hire. I hear there's this thing called a hygienist, but they're a unicorn in the city of Philadelphia. (laughs) How many, then let me ask you that. How many employees do you currently have right now? I have two dental assistants and I have one front office coordinator and I've outsourced some things in the front office. So we do our verifications outsourced and I manage as office manager because I like knowing how things work. But I think my front office coordinator has the capacity to train up to office manager. She's bright, brilliant, really. And um, I think with time, I will start delegating more and more and she will be that person for me. That's good. Who does your insurance verification then? I am keeping the name on the DL. I have changed companies recently. Um, I need to get to know them a little bit better before I would shout their name out. Okay. Who, you said when you took the loan, there was consultants and other, who did your construction? Blackstone Building Group. It's a company out of Delaware. Um, I, I mean, I pulled in three different bids and they were the more expensive one. And I had, a, I had a consulting company like helping me in general with my entire startup. And I said, I really liked them. They came, they were pleasant to talk to, easy to work with, respectful. And their designs all had a little something more refined to it. Whenever I saw the offices of the others, I was like, well, they're kind of vanilla boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, well, if you want to work with them, tell them. Tell them you want to work with them and then tell them your budget and ask them how they can get there. And um, that was a genius little piece of advice because they found a way. They got there. <laughs> You're like, yeah, just tell them. <laughs> just tell them. Tell them you like them. People like to hear those things. And then say, this is how much I have. What can you do with it? Yeah. They made it work with, I mean, the compromises to get there were reasonable. Yeah, that's true. It's interesting when you just straight up like that instead of being like you know what i may go with you i don't know what do you get i got a lower bid from this other guy like, yeah i like that <laughs> i like you uh, do you like me yeah let's do something <laughs> together it worked uh yeah that's so true so who was the consulting company okay this is a group i will shout out for i worked with ideal practices i think a lot of the things that you like and talking to me came from my training with them 
Uh. Um, I think that they helped me create a very confident voice and learn to articulate myself in the business side. That this is not a natural muscle for me. Mm-hmm. And I think when I tell people about my experience with them, I go, listen, it's going to feel fluffy to you because we are used to like drilling, filling little technology stuff. And then we're used to like basic sciences and, you know, randomized controlled clinical trials. And then there's this space for your like creative vision. And it doesn't feel as important as all of these other things that I'm telling you it is. Mm. It has been the foundation for every good decision I've made. And it has been the groundwork for everything that I've looked at and gone, how do we do this better? Hiring. The best part of hiring that's come around in this year is that I've now looked back on my vision statements and I've looked back on my core values and I've changed who I hire because I am more comfortable articulating. This is who I really like to work with. I really like to work with smart people. So I almost always hire somebody that doesn't want to be the job that they're applying for. They want it to be more. So dental assistants that want to be a hygienist or want to be an APTA, the one I hired over the summer, she was actually already matriculating to Drexel, a four-year college, might go on to be a dentist. One of my favorite people, totally worth working with for a short period of time as opposed to pulling your hair out, trying to work with somebody who doesn't aspire in the same way and therefore comes to the job for a different reason. So I like smart people. Mm-hmm. I like to develop them and be a part of that future career for them. Yeah. Um, wow. So like, yeah, the ideal practices did a lot of that for me. Nice. Okay. And then right now, currently, what are you doing for marketing and advertising? A lot. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So when I pull... And every month I pull a referral list on how a patient found their way to my practice. And so a good portion of it is brown marketing, frankly, um, which is why I like you. The majority of the people coming to my office are not finding me from Google and are not finding me through their insurance carriers. So how I've built those relationships is a really good use of my time. And I'm going to go there. But I do, I do work with Studio 88 because. I needed a website that clearly articulated who I was as well as I would if I had you face-to-face. It's a build-out of that experience. You may hear about me through a patient and then you go to the website and you go, oh, oh, I get it. And so their storytelling marketing style was exactly what I wanted. Uh, And I will say, if you look at them at first glance, they might appear expensive. But after the initial build out of the website, if you work with them and say, okay, I want to do a blog or I want to expand this part of my webpage or I want to change my content, I have found them to be very high value in that area. Um, So my Google ads, which I do run and I do have a budget of $1,500 a month for Google ads, plus my marketing firm, which keeps my website active and energized and created the initial That is a good part of it. Everything else is me. Minimal delegation because I am marketing me. Mm -hmm. My practice is me. And I started this before I even opened. I would do parent education groups and sort of Oprah talks on my Facebook and on my Instagram. And I created a network of people and highlighted their expertise 
and how it dovetailed with mine. And so that's part of that core values. One of my office's core values is collaborative. And so before I even opened, I wanted everybody that I could potentially collaborate with to know who I was and know that I knew how I could collaborate with them. So that was speech therapists, sleep consultants, occupational therapists, uh, myofunctional therapists, pediatricians, people running developmental children's groups in the city, which is a thing city parents do a lot. Um, So I ran a lot of those. That did amazing work for me for building up my SEO because they had established legitimate websites. And then we would do a talk and they would put me on their established websites. And so when I opened, I was already on the first page of Pediatric Dentist in Philadelphia. Okay, also my name doesn't hurt. How somebody did not take Philadelphia Pediatric Dentistry sometime in the history of the world part one before now (laughs) blows my mind. I was lucky. Better to be lucky than to be good. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's really good. Okay, awesome. Awesome. And then one last question I want to ask you is, let's talk about throughout the time you, I guess, decided when you're like, I think I'm going to open up my own practice. So right now, today, what's been some of the biggest struggles or fails that you feel you've encountered? I think starting up a practice is really, really, really hard. And then you take someone like me. I am energized by being around people. And I've been in academic settings where like I am not alone in a room. There's like 20 other people in this room with me. I just put myself as a solo practitioner alone in an office. This is hard. So you take doing something really hard and you take all of those energizing factors of interfacing with people. And I am lonely. That was really, really hard um, because I'm doing something that is the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. I'm not a risk taker. I might not realize that, but I'm not a risk taker. How'd you, how are you kind of like overcoming that? So I, um, when I've put in my thing about ground marketing is my superpower, that's how I'm handling it. So the hardest thing in a startup is when you don't have a patient in the chair. It's terrifying because you just watched $350 go out the window. You should know how how much it costs to keep your office open per hour, by the way. And so I have kind of high overhead in my opinion because I'm in the city of Philadelphia and all those things. Um, And so a patient not in the chair is really scary. When a patient is not in the chair, I made it my mission to talk to somebody that will help me grow my business. Mm -hmm. So if it's two hours, I might, you know, leave the building and go cross town and go talk to somebody. I might go to a pediatrician's office and stop with some treats and try and talk to them and say like, what do you need? How can I help you? Um, and by talking to the front desk, you might find that answer out. And so one office, I talked to the front desk and I did one of those, what do you need? How can I help you? And I found out they weren't doing fluoride varnish for their kids in this pediatrician's office. And I said, well, I've taught pediatric medicine residents how to do that. How about I teach you guys how to do that? I'll teach all, I'll bring lunch. I'll teach all of your AMAs. I will bring some samples and here are the billing codes for your implementation for your office. How about that? They now refer to me because I gave them something they needed. So yeah, using that downtime, that scary time to talk to somebody that'll grow my business. Yeah, I like that. I didn't know that. I didn't know you, 
you pick ground marketing as your <laughs> superpower. But because I come back from that feeling so great because I yeah. talked to somebody. I was lonely. I took care of my issue <laughs> and the office's issue. Yeah, it's it's it does amazing, amazing things. But it really does take honestly like that first initial like five, four, three, two, you know, you just got to go and do it. Just go. Yeah, or else you're just going to keep thinking and be like, oh, you know what? So have care packages pre-made, mm-hmm. right? Like if, it, if the rate limiting step to getting out the door is, oh, I don't know what I'd bring them. Like, all right, have something. So um, I'm really into realtors right now. And there's a, there's a logic model behind this. So in Philadelphia, I told you, there's good pediatric dentists. Nobody should be leaving them to come see me. I don't think that should be happening because I think they're really good pediatric offices. Mm -hmm. I look at them and I've learned from them and I think highly of them. So for me to get a new patient that's six years old and not a baby, they need to be moving to the city. Well, who has their hands on them? Realtors. Somebody buying a new townhouse in my neighborhood had to go through a realtor. And so I could send mailers or I could just go to the realtor that sells expensive townhouses to knows that they have children and be like, here, I know you like to leave a gift for your families. Why don't you add this to your package? Mm. And it's like lip balms and a toothbrush and some pamphlets. And my pamphlet specifically says, here's the top three things you need to know if you've just moved to the city of Philadelphia and, you know, cool things like that. Yeah. So like I have them prepackaged, ready to go. And when I'm lonely, I just like grab a couple of them and I, I go talk to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Maria, thank you so much for being with us today. It was a pleasure. But before we say goodbye, can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Yes. Um, I am Dr. Maria at Philadelphia Pediatric Dentistry in Center City, Philadelphia. You can follow me on Instagram, Philly Pediatric Dentistry. Um, And I have like a really lovely space there. That's my collaboration space. So I'd love to meet you there. Awesome. So guys, that's all going to be in the show notes below. So definitely check it out. And Maria, thank you so much for being with us today. It was a pleasure and we'll hear from you soon. Pleasure was mine. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for tuning into that episode. And Maria, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. We appreciate it. Guys, please, 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 if you want, reach out to her. You can join the Dental Marketer Society Facebook group and reach out to her there. Or you can just go in the show notes below and personally reach out to her on any of her uh, personal contact information that she's given to us. But at the same time, guys, don't forget, if you've had a no-show this week, or if you had a no-show the past month, or maybe the past couple weeks, definitely check Emeter out. You owe it to yourself. Get a free personalized demo. And then at the same time, if you like what you're seeing from them, remember, it's no agreements, no contracts, month-to-month subscription, and you get 30% off. So go in the show notes below. It's going to be the first link in the show notes below, and check Emeter out. All right, that's going to do it for this episode, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.